Hey everybody, this is Braden. Uh, if you uh, listened to the last podcast, you probably know that our scheduling is a little bit off at the moment. Uh, so this week we're going to be doing Voyager Episode 1 of Season 1, the episode Caretaker. And our next episode is going to be Deep Space Nine, Season 7, Episode 3. That episode's called After Image. Um, and then from then on, we'll everything will be right with the world again. We'll be doing the episodes that we tell you we're going to do. So we do apologize for uh, this little blip in our scheduling, but everything should be should be all right after this. So thanks. Enjoy the episode. So my wife and I just finally, after almost two years, uh, at the time of recording anyway, we, we finished watching uh, Next Generation. Oh, good. Well. Yeah, we haven't watched the movies yet. We're going to watch the movies uh, soon. But um, finished watching the show, and I think, you know, we liked it overall. Uh, but I, I think what we, you know, I've talked to you about this before on the show that I kind of have had this thing about where almost like the characters of Next Generation are maybe better than the show itself is. Mm-hmm. And that I think I could come up with like one really good season of next gen so taking existing episodes of next generation yeah there's probably about 20 or so that you could string together to be really good i mean, I mean like, there's more than 20 good episodes of the show but i was like oh i could put together one killer season yeah if you want i did compile a list for you of because you know all those seasons are really long so i put together like a 24 episode really good season of the nice of the show. Uh, do you want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I wanted also to include at least one episode from every uh, season. Um, so this is in chronological order. So we okay. got... The first episode is uh, Conspiracy, which is season one, episode 25. That is the episode uh, where there's like this weird parasitic like oh, kind yes. of facehugger-style creature that's living inside of... Um, yeah, that's the one where Picard and Riker blow somebody's head up. Or, like, completely yeah, blow a yeah. person up, right? Yeah, 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 yes. And the, one of the few episodes I really like of season one, yeah. Number two is The Measure of a Man, uh, season two, episode nine. Oh, I know I know that's a Data one, but is that the one where he learns comedy? That's the one where he goes, where basically there's like a trial to determine whether or not, like, a human Starfleet officer could take possession of him to do uh, experiments. And so there's basically a, a, uh, a trial to prove that Data is a person. Okay. Yeah. Number three is The Royale, which is season two, episode 12. That's a personal favorite one of mine. That's uh, one where they go to a casino hotel thing that's on like this otherwise completely desolate planet. And you discover that like many years ago, there was like a NASA a NASA astronaut who got abducted by aliens. And the only thing the aliens had of his to understand his culture was a bad like mystery novel and so they you they kind of recreated this portion of a mystery novel to just play again and again and again and like kept him there because they didn't know what to do with him okay uh then number four is deja q couldn't place like which q episode that is um so deja q is the episode where q gets dumped on the enterprise by the other q because he's lost okay. his, he's they, they've stripped him of his q powers number five is yesterday's enterprise which is season three episode 15 is that the Enterprise C one where um, Tasha Yar comes back? Yes. Okay. From the alternate dimension, yes. That's a, that's a good episode. Uh, number six is The Offspring, which we've already done. Season yeah. three, episode 16. Good good episode. Number seven is an episode we've talked about a lot, which is Captain's Holiday, season three, episode 19. <laughs> yeah, that's the one on Risa. Yeah, where Picard tries to go on vacation and doesn't really go on vacation. Eight is... Uh, Hollow Pursuits, which is season three, episode twenty-one. My guess would be that's the one where uh, someone brings this like toy that everyone starts playing with that then brainwashes them. No, that is no. that's the game which I did think about putting on this list, okay. but um, that is the first uh, Reg episode where Reg oh, is fun. living out his fantasies in the holodeck. Number nine is Best of Both Worlds one. Number ten is Best of Both Worlds two. Number 11 is The Wounded, Season 4, Episode 12. 
That is the one where there's like a rogue Starfleet captain who's blowing a bunch of Cardassian ships, even though they have like this treaty with them. But he, he thinks that they're arming for war, and so the Enterprise has to go stop him. And it, it turns out that uh, O'Brien used to work for him, so O'Brien kind of tries to reason with him. And then all the number 12 is Clues, which is season 4, episode 14. Uh, that is the one where um, they accidentally stumble upon this isolationist group of aliens that don't want to be found out. And so they they want to they want to blow up the Enterprise, but then the Enterprise basically convinces them to have their memory erased instead so they won't remember them but then when they all wake up they realize that something has happened and so they're trying to figure out like what happened uh huh. and they kind of are solving a mystery they're not they kind of intentionally did not want to solve so that's my first half and so uh which gets all the way through season four and then the last half is season five six and seven so okay season cool season three though that's a that's a great season that's got six episodes on it so which is more than any other season so anyway uh i like that kind of list statistic type stuff so hi and welcome to out of contracts the show where two guys who have seen part of star trek try to watch all of star trek in no particular order i'm ryan howard and i'm brady jungle and this is our 25th episode of out of contracts which is very exciting a cool Milestone number. Yeah. And le- like our 20th episode, uh, we are actually <laughs> talking about, again, not on purpose, we, but we are talking about a very special episode, a double-sized episode of Voyager. Um, this week we are talking about Caretaker, which is the pilot, season one, episode one, and I guess technically episode two of uh, Voyager. So yeah. um, I'm very excited for this one because I've been really liking Voyager. Obviously, you like that show a lot, but I, I've been liking it, and this uh, is the the beginning of it, so I get to kind of see how, how yeah, it all began. Yeah, how, how we got here. Now it all makes sense. Yeah, this episode was uh, written by Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor, who are two of the creators of the show, I believe, and then uh, directed by Winwich Colby. The synopsis on Memory Alpha is, The newly commissioned starship Voyager and a Maquis Raider are flung into the far reaches of the remote Delta Quadrant by a powerful entity known as the Caretaker. Hey, that's the name of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was kind of toying with like the idea of whether we want to make this a re-explainer kind of entry-level episode before we just dive right into the plot synopsis if we want to talk a little bit about like, you know, what Voyager is or... Did you did you watch the show when it was on? I saw only like a couple episodes when it was on. Like I had a friend who was really into it, and so occasionally um, he would either be like, "Hey, you really got to watch this episode and tape something for me," or I would like watch it when I was over at his house. But I only saw kind of scattered episodes, and most of them were from later seasons. So it mm-hmm. wasn't until I, you know, maybe about six or seven years ago now that I kind of went back and just watch the whole thing from beginning to end. And, and Voyager was actually really what kind of got me back into Star Trek. Cause I, you know, I had Netflix and I was like, I should find something to watch. And then I was like, I should check out Voyager. I remember liking what I had seen when I was younger. And so started that. And then after I finished that went on and started watching original series and next generation then from there. But Voyager was kind of where I started when I started kind of seriously watching so, uh, as we've talked about on other episodes where we've done a Voyager, the, the show is about a Star Trek ship that kind of is accidentally kind of sucked through this weird, not even really a wormhole, but they're, they're well, as we kind of will find out, they're, they're transported a, across the galaxy to the, to the Delta Quadrant, because the uh, Starfleet it operates in the Alpha Quadrant, and they're, they're transported there with a Maquis ship, which is, Maquis are kind of like these rebels that are uh, fighting the Cardassians, but they're doing it in a way that's not really sanctioned by the, the Federation. Well, Ryan, I feel like the show tells us exactly who the Maquis are. Oh, yeah. No, I, I do want to get... I do. I will, we will definitely talk about this, but I, I just I just want to foreground it for people <laughs> sure. just in case this is someone's episode one, because I think, it, you know, this could be a good jumping on for one for people because it is a pilot. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, something that I, I think I've I've misattributed this. In fact, I know I have because I was just listening to Dark Frontier, our Dark Frontier episode today, and I mentioned that this came out on CBS, which is not true. This is actually uh, was on UPN because Paramount owned and I think still owns the rights to the shows, at least in some form. And so 
a Paramount wanted to launch its own network, which it, which actually it almost did many years prior when they were working on Star Trek Phase Two, which ultimately became the original movie. And so they they launched uh, UPN with whoever else owned UPN. And this is actually not only was this kind of like the signature show of UPN when it started, it was also the very first episode of anything that aired on UPN ever. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. Which <laughs> makes the beginning of this episode, I think, even more uh, <laughs> puzzling because it it I, I think this is a good episode. Would you agree? I was trying to make up my mind on whether this is a good episode or not. I mean, I think it's because I really like Voyager, and so I like that this starts Voyager. I like being introduced to all these characters that I love, and also Tom Paris. And so I, I like it for that, but I, I wasn't really sure if it was... I think parts of it are really good, and I think it it's definitely not the greatest episode of Star Trek. There's definitely kind of some holes that can be poked in it. But for what it was and for what it started, I, I really liked it, I guess. So I think that's totally fair. I would say it's a good episode of this kind of period of Star Trek, of like what you would call, I guess, like the middle period of Star Trek, I guess. Like the you yeah. know the, the period where there was always at least one show on TV through like the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. I think it's a good version of that. I think that it is an utter failure as the first episode of a television program. <laughs> like it's it's a great, you know, 300th episode of the ongoing thing that we call 90s Star Trek, but like But if you didn't already watch that then Yeah, well I did watch this over Thanksgiving break with my dad and my okay. mom and my uh, my little sister and and your parents had never seen Star Trek, right? So I think I think that they have all seen like at least the first couple of the new movies. Okay. But beyond that, I don't think my dad has ever watched any other Star Trek thing ever. And I tried to get my mom and my sisters into it because my mom likes the the new movies so much. But I kind of had given her a couple of original series episodes to watch. And she watched like the first one of them on the list that I'd given her and basically told me that it was so boring that she couldn't keep going. <laughs> and, uh, so that, and that's kind of the extent of it. And so... They watched the episode with me, and they, I think, overall liked it. My dad, I think my dad and Dasha, my sister, is certainly liked it. I'm not sure about my mom. But I also did have to pause it several times to explain stuff. Like, including, like, the, in the opening moment, uh, which we're kind of dancing around it, maybe we should just dive into it. The, the beginning of this uh, episode starts not with, like, just a regular happening. It starts with a... A, a miniature version of like a Star Wars crawl. Yes. So th- this, this, I think my central kind of metaphor that I was kind of thinking of when I was thinking about this episode is that this is kind of the Star Wars episode one of Star Trek episodes <laughs> in that it is technically the first episode of a thing, but it does not make any sense if you have not already watched previous Star Trek uh, things. Yeah, that's fair. And like, even like the crawls are the same where it's like, kind of explains some stuff to you in this episode, but also it doesn't explain anything at all. Yeah, and I'm sure it was, because this is something that, to my knowledge, there's nothing like this in any other episode of Star Trek. Because usually this is what you use the the captain's log for, is like if there is sort of explanation or exposition that needs to happen, you can have this little voiceover of the captain saying, like, we've gone to this place for this reason, and that sets the scene. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a, a text crawl like that. And then you even have the, the ship flying overhead right afterwards. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Well, actually, that's not entirely true that there's never been another episode of Star Trek that does that, because there's something actually very similar that happens in the... I just recently watched the pilot of Deep Space Nine, and it's shorter, but oh, there really? is still a thing where it starts out and basically says that... Basically, I don't remember what it says, but it says something along the lines of, in this star date, a Borg cube commanded by Captain Picard in Best of Both Worlds attacked like this area of Starfleet. And then it cuts to three years before Deep Space Nine starts and Cisco is uh, on is the bridge on of the, is the of a ship. And, yeah. and, and that's kind of his origin story, I guess, as far as that goes. And he, okay. he gets attacked by 
by a, a Borg cube that's commanded by a Locutus. Mm-hmm. But there is a little... Okay, I didn't remember that that pilot did it too. But yeah, but I'm sure yeah. kind of the the intention or the reason that it got put in there by powers that be was to... It was intended for people that hadn't watched Star Trek to like explain, you know, this is what's going on if you're new to all of this. But it makes no sense if you don't watch Star Trek because it immediately starts talking about the Cardassians and the Maquis and. Well, yeah. Can you just can you you want to read the crawl? It's, it's only like three sentences. It's not, it's at the top of yeah. the memory alpha page. So it's it starts out again. The, f- the first introduction anyone has to Star Trek Voyager is this these words: "Unhappy with a new treaty, Federation colonists along the Cardassian border have banded together, calling themselves the Maquis. They continue to fight the Cardassians. Some consider them heroes, but to the governments of the Federation and Cardassia." They are outlaws, which I just don't know what that adds. Well, yeah, the thing that's striking about that is that that does not make any sense unless you know who the Federation and the Cardassians and the Ma- like, and really the Maquis are, which is, yeah. and we only know this because we've watched TNG and Deep Space Nine where this is popped up because I, I, this, this started and I was watching it and I had to immediately stop and actually explain to my parents, are this who the Federation are, this is the Cardassians, this is what they're fighting about, this is what the treaty is. Like and so it's like yeah. it's, it's it's meaningless. It really is just like they just knew it was kinda of like they weren't really trying to win any new converts to the show. They just were kinda of like, all right, well, you're either in or you're out, you know? And there were a lot of people in at that time, but it's just it's just like a, it was just very funny to me. Yeah. It, it also it's really, really hard not to read that and to think to yourself Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic <laughs> Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute, you know, right. uh, where it just kind of, all right, we're really just diving right in there. And so I, I'm glad that we were both, uh, <laughs> I don't know, just confused, amused. I don't know by that. Yeah. Um, so now that we've kind of, uh, we're about 20 minutes in and I have given you a long half of a list and we've talked for a long time about the. Like the opening, like five seconds of the show. Why don't you take us into so, what's um, what's going on? Yeah. So the, after the opening crawl, the action starts out with a ship that belongs to to the Maquis, to this sort of rebel group, and it's the main people on that ship are Ch- the Chakotay, who's the captain, who's this kind of Maquis leader. Um, he's a human. He's a uh, Native American, I guess, or uh, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a human he's Native human. American, which will uh, come into play at the end of the episode in a sort of a, a kind of a shocking way. Yeah, uh, yeah. but go on. Um, and then uh, his, I assume she's his first officer or engineer, but like the the other main person on on his ship is Belana Torres, who's she's half human and half Klingon, um, and is also a member of the Maquis. I think she's the engineer. I'm not certain though. So on Voyager, she becomes the like the chief engineer, but so okay. I, I assume that she's the engineer on on this ship too, because um, mm-hmm. she's talking about how like she's trying to get them more power and that sort of thing. And then Tuvok, who is a Vulcan, who we find out later on is actually sort of a Federation, essentially spy. Like he was sent by the Federation to kind of infiltrate and learn about the Maquis by serving on this ship. This is actually. Uh, one, this is actually one way in which watching the show out of context is actually it, it increased my surprise because I kind of got double surprised because I, I saw that and I thought to myself, oh, I didn't realize that Tuvok was originally part of the Maquis yeah. and then they revealed that he was a spy and then I was like, oh, okay, that that's interesting Like I because I knew that he was on the show so I was surprised by his presence, which you normally wouldn't be and then I was surprised again <laughs> when, it, when the reveal happened. But. Yeah. Um, and they're they're being chased by the Cardassians, and as they, they sort of run away from them into a, a plasma storm. And while they're trying to escape from the Cardassians, suddenly they're are sort of hit by this space anomaly that they're whisked away to somewhere like extremely far away. But all all we know at the time, and kind of what we find out, is that the ship just suddenly disappeared. We should note just that the person who's who's chasing them, the Cardassians chasing them, is. Gull Evek, uh, who is, I, I, again, I would not be able to tell this based on <laughs> yeah, we need to have a uh, anything other than the name, show. but that he is a he's a prominent Karasian commander who appears on the show uh, multiple times. So okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if he did or not. I think he's been on both DS9 and TNG prior to this, okay. I believe. And actually, Chakotay has also been was introduced, I believe, in Deep Space Nine before. Oh, was he before really? being on the show? 
I, I think so. Because I know there were there were a couple episodes of I know there was some a couple of TNG and I assume Deep Space Nine as well that sort of establish who the Maquis are and kind of talk about how yeah. they get formed. Um, but I didn't know if he was. Yeah, I believe he is in one episode of Deep Space Nine. Okay, if I recall. Sense. Um, and so then, then we cut to Captain Janeway sort of going around and collecting a crew for this brand new ship Voyager, um, to go out to, to find out what happened to this Maquis ship. And the reason they care so much is because of Tuvok, because Tuvok was Janeway's chief of security. And so they have to go and find the ship because he's gone missing. And so the main person that, that they show her sort of recruiting for this is Tom Paris. Um, so we find out a little bit. <laughs> so we find out a little bit more of back, his backstory through these first few scenes with him. And I feel like they're trying to make him like sympathetic or complex character, but he's just so. Um, and this is the. I guess we can get into. I'll, I'll explain kind of his his backstory first, and then we can talk about why we feel the way we do about Tom Paris, but they never give exact details. But from what you can kind of piece together is he was, he was part of Starfleet and he was on a mission where he made a mistake that caused this kind of disaster and actually caused the death of, of other people. And then afterwards he tried to cover it up and almost got away with it, but then ended up. He ends up confessing, right? Yeah. And I was, I couldn't figure out how sarcastic he was being when he was describing this because he always sounds sarcastic. Um, <laughs> but he, the impression is that he kind of had a change of, you know, his conscience caught up to him, and he decided to confess and turn himself in and got thrown out of Starfleet. So after that, he went to went off and joined the Maquis, mostly just kind of as something to do. You know, a lot of the people of the Maquis were colonists that were trying to defend their homes and that, and he just went for the action or the pay or for some reason and in his first mission with the maquis got captured by the federation again and then got sent to the like nicest prison planet imaginable well he know he's on he's not he's not on a prison planet he's he's in new zealand oh is he really oh so this is on i, I, I missed that which I, I thought was funny that they're still kind <laughs> of I mean, still... obviously australia and new zealand are not the same thing but like in the future a we're still using that part of the planet for our prison <laughs> stuff. But B, I feel like uh, forced labor, that's got to be on the way out by the time that, that this is happening. You know, like that's already kind of getting frowned upon. Yeah, and they try to spin it as this rehabilitation. It's just something for him to do. But um, but yeah, it's true. It is. It's like a, a penal colony and he's working on... Doing some kind of repair work, it looks like, yeah. So Janeway comes and recruits him and says, essentially, if you come on this mission with us to help us find the Maquis because of your previous ties to them, then afterwards you'll, essentially, that'll count as like the rest of your service and then you'll be a free man. They also mentioned that he apparently has some kind of negative history with Chakotay uh, when they were when when they were both in Maquis together that they didn't like each other. So he agrees and then he goes to join the ship as he's sort of coming up on the ship you get your first view of voyager and it's a very star trek the motion picture type slow pan of this is you know the ship and so beautiful and what class of ship is is that it is oh i used to know this um Uh, according to memory alpha it is a intrepid class starship so it's got kind of a cool shape it's it's sort of it's sort of like the Enterprise, but it's a little bit more like oval. There's a little yeah. bit of a thicker connection of the saucer area to the rest of the ship. Yeah, um, it's less in several pieces that are hooked up to each other, and more kind of one continuous thing. Yeah. Is sort of how I've always seen it. Um, and then we're also introduced to Ensign Harry Kim. So apparently, this is all kind of happening on Deep Space Nine. That the ship is sort of getting its crew together and getting ready to to set off. Um, because they're actually in Quark's bar, and Quark tries to take advantage of Harry Kim, and so we're shown that he's fresh out of the academy and kind of naive. But also, like, you know, I feel like we're supposed to see that he's, you know, he's smart, he's good at his job, he's just sort of a little unexperienced. Yeah, there is also the um, kind of re- the reemergence of kind of like casual Starfleet uh 
speciesism yeah. uh, because both Harry Kim and Tom Paris in the scene, like they explicitly state that at the, when you're in the Starfleet Academy, you are warned about Romulans in general. Ferengi. Just, you know, just like watch out for Romulans. Ferengi, <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Not yeah, yeah, Ferengi. I'm sorry. Yes, you're correct. Yeah, you're just a word. We were warned about Ferengi. Yeah. So. And so, and this is also you see sort of Tom Paris kind of decides he's going to take Harry Kim under his wing, like he's, you know, I'm going to look out for you, kid, type of attitude. Um, and so, do you want to take a minute to talk about Tom Paris because I feel like in how he tells his backstory and kind of his relationship with Harry Kim, I feel like they're trying to make him be sort of this like likable, you know, he's kind of a bad boy and kind of got some attitude, but his real secret is that he's got a heart of gold, but I feel like for some reason he just comes off as like kind of the worst. So I don't want to rag too much. Who's the, who's the actor who plays it's, him? Uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, I think something like that. Uh, yeah, you're right. Robert Duncan McNeil. So uh, I don't want to like rag on him too hard. Cause I don't think it's necessarily all his issue. I'm sure there's a writing element of it too, but I, I think that, We've talked about this before that Star Trek is it, it still is in a lot of ways like operating off of the archetypes, a lot of the character archetypes that existed in the original uh, show. And it can do this kind of like successfully sometimes and not successfully other times. And it's not like those are always present, but I feel like definitely like you have a through line through a lot of these s- series where you can find a Kirk character, and you can find a Spock character, mm-hmm. and you can find a Bones character. And, you know, there's other character archetypes that you could argue for as well, but you know, we've we definitely talked about this as regards to Riker, like when some of the other characters kind of get up to these, like, sex sexcapade stuff, it kind of reads as a little bit gross, and when Riker does it, it, what, it doesn't for whatever reason, and I think that's partially a writing thing. I also think that that's like, the personality of that Jonathan Frakes brings to that character is very disarming and and warm and and likable, you know, Paris, it does seem to me, is clearly kind of being pushed as, like, kind of the Kirk Riker. Yeah, like, he's he's the one that you're supposed to think of as the, the like, sort of the audience viewpoint, or, but yeah, just kind of the mm-hmm. one that's the, the main character. He's, like, a handsome human man who is yeah and he's supposed to be like kind of witty kind of a, and he likes the ladies uh, yeah. and yeah he, yeah he's witty and but it, it again i i'm not putting this all at, at that guy's feet but one of the first things we see him do other than just kind of being quippy at janeway is he sexually harasses a like a pilot a betazoid as they're flying uh either to Voyager or to D Space Nine. And it's just kind of like, ugh, like gross. And then later on, you know, as we'll see, like he he makes like multiple like racist jokes in a row. And that is what they are. They're just they're just racist they're just racist jokes like to uh, to Chakotay. And it almost is like this that kind of like modern kind of internet troll slash like people who are really really mad about pc culture thing of like oh i'm not i'm not mad like why are you so mad man like where it's all just he's all just being doing it for the laughs or whatever but it's like no you're just kind of gross and annoying and 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 for whatever reason it just does not work i think for either of us it just kind of aggressively does not work i think he's by far my least favorite character on the show and i i just find him kind of boring to watch and then also just kind of annoying because he does most of the time like he just is kind of whatever he's up to it's just kind of slightly skeevy or just kind of blah yeah. um it, it, you know i don't want to harp too much on this because i do really like voyager a lot and he and he's by far my least favorite character and i would say i'm like most of the other characters on the show so it's not you know it's not like a big problem but he's it, it, that is kind of something there's kind of an archetype in star trek shows also of the one character that's really bad. And some people might have a disagreement on who that is in some of the shows, but I feel like most of the time, like a lot of people who watch Star Trek, they, so everyone has like their own personal kind of stinker character yeah. on the, on the different series. And, and he's, he's definitely mine for Voyager. That's fair. Um, I think he's probably a lot of people. Harry Kim, I don't really have a lot of feelings about. I feel like he, we still really haven't seen like Harry Kim have his moment in the sun on the ones we've seen for the, the podcast. Yeah. His, his role is, often like the one that 
gets captured or that. Yeah, that's what happened in this episode. Much like in this episode. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to monopolize our Tom Paris conversation. I don't know. No, if that's, I, I feel like that, to... that sums it up pretty well, I think. Yeah, I think whatever they were shooting for just kind of didn't quite hit. So the, eventually the, the ship sets off and they make it to where the Maquis ship was last seen. And as they're searching for it, they're suddenly hit by this same thing where they're first they're scanned and then they're hit by this this displacement wave that traumatizes the ship they have hull breaches and fires and kind of immediately you find out that both the first officer and the the doctor who were briefly introduced to before this are dead and there's kind of this crisis on the ship and then they also discover that suddenly they're 70,000 light years away from where they were my uh, sister pointed out in this part of the show that uh, at the beginning of the episode, Janeway kind of has her classic high and tight haircut, mm-hmm. or her hairdo, and then it kind of has come undone after the ship is transported because they've been a, it's been a huge crash and and uh, so her hair is kind of falling out, and then like it cuts to like another scene where Janeway is like walking briskly down like a corridor or something, and her hair is totally back it's to normal. Right, she she <laughs> yeah she's she's uh, expertly repositioned it apparently uh yeah before going about the rest of her business i feel like they do you know this i think is a character establishment that they actually do a very good job of of you kind of very quickly get the the whole gist of who janeway is um you know that she's she does kind of try to take on too much because there's a point later on where tuvok is telling her she needs to rest and she's really fighting it because she cares so much about her crew but she you know she presents she's very like no nonsense she you know, she doesn't waste time. She is kind of very professional, but they do some nice things that show that she does have sort of a softer side. You know, you see a, a moment of her kind of right before she leaves talking to her boyfriend and how much she cares about like him and her dog and the, even the way that she treats the other members of the crew. You know, she definitely cares, but she's also very, very businesslike and very professional. And I Mm-hmm. I really like Janeway as a character, but I feel like they do a good job of kind of quickly establishing what the point of her character is. Mm-hmm. And then as they're trying to fix the ship and piece together what's going on, everyone on the ship is suddenly transported onto this this space station or this array that's um, that's right by them. Well, that's, I mean... That's where they they realize that they've been transported there, but at first they they have been transported to a hoedown, uh, and they've been yes. transferred, they've been transported to some sort of kind of old plantation house. It seems like old plantation style house, and there's a woman who's offering them like corn and bread and stuff, and uh, and then this old man with a banjo who's, and then a bunch of other people come and like start dancing around them, and they're always kind of looking around. Expressions of confusion that I believe match the ones on my family's face when they were watching it because, again, this is such a Star Trek thing. And so, you know, I'm watching. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, they got transported somewhere and now they're in like a different time setting and there's all this like anachronistic stuff. And my family is kind of like, what? What is going on? You know, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you've been watching the ongoing Star Trek saga for this long, it's not boring, but it's also just like, oh, okay, this is what's going on and this kind of happens sometimes. And <laughs> it's such a weird thing to put in the first episode of a show that just suddenly they're in this very serious kind of like life or death situation. And suddenly they're just like on a, you know, a Georgian yeah. uh, manner. Um, but yeah, they do ultimately realize, though, that it is it is they're on a space station and they kind of been put in this setting because the alien that put them there mistakenly believed that this would be something that would make them more comfortable. Yeah, which which doesn't work because immediately like all of them, you know, you can tell that apparently this sort of thing happens to them all the time they're all still just trying to figure out what's going on and kind of just ignoring the hoedown that's going on around them Uh, except for tom paris who does at one point try to hit on the hologram there's so much hologram heading on in in voyager (laughs) it's true and so they end up kind of exploring and trying to figure out what's going on and then as the i guess the hologram or the like sort of figures out that they're that they're not being fooled. They're all knocked out and put into these they're they're not really tubes or like harnesses, but essentially they are undergoing biological testing of some sort while they're unconscious. Yeah. And then the next thing they sort of find themselves all back on their ship. 
And the Maquis are all back on their ship as well. That- Except that Harry Kim and Bolana Torres are both missing. And so they go back to the array. And this is, I don't know if it was a timing thing or a plot thing. Like, I feel like this episode at sometimes was kind of hard to follow just because there's a lot of, there's a lot of going back and forth between the same places. Like the number of times they go back to the array and then they go down to the planet and they go back to the array, they go back to the ship, they go back to the array. I feel is, and the timing was, was sometimes a little bit awkward. Um, Mm -hmm. But so members of both Voyager and the Maquis crew, because they're both missing people that they're trying to track down. They go back to the array and they're, they meet the, the old man that was playing the banjo before is the only one there. He appears to be like a sentient being as everyone else is a hologram. And he, he seems to kind of be the guy who's in charge. Yeah. And he says a bunch of, at the time, very cryptic things of, you know, I don't have time. You don't have what I need. I have to repay the debt and there's no time. And then just sort of sends them back, like tra- teleports them back to Voyager. And the, the Maquis and the Federation kind of decide to team up to get our people back right. at least, you know. And we, we then cut to uh, Harry Kim and Bolana Torres who are on a nearby planet underground with these people who are called the Ocampa. And kind of what we find out is that this array is calls itself the caretaker and is what provides for these people, for the Ocampa. It sends them energy, it built their home, it protects them, it sends them kind of everything they need comes from this caretaker. And so Voyager ends up going down to the planet to try to find them, and that's where they meet the Kazon, who are... We, yeah, we've talked about them before. They're kind of... A, a kind of a, a gangland analog where there's all these different kind of tribes and they're they're kind of fighting and then they uh, the reason they meet the Kazon is that um, they bump into a guy who's scavenging <laughs> for parts yes uh, named Neelix who is also on the show as one of the main characters and he is a scavenger and he he joins them and he loves being on their ship because apparently there's a water shortage in this part of the galaxy and yeah, so especially on on this planet there is so he takes this this bath and is drinking water while he takes a bath and like has stacked a bunch of cups of water up in his room and there's a weird part where he like gets out of the bathtub and kind of annoys tuvok because he he's flashing tuvok, tuvok basically yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah he leads them down to uh to the Kazon, who are this yeah. kind of these kind of gangland tribal analogs yeah and, that are kind of scavengers as well and and this is, <laughs> I wrote down about this this part, and really this episode in general. Um, I wrote down Prime Directive. Never heard of it because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. This part especially because they they come down and essentially they're trying to bargain with the Kazon to get information about where their people are and help them get their people, and they just beam down these two huge containers of water that they presumably like made with the replicator, which all of this is very apparent like technology that no one in this part of the galaxy is at all familiar with. And they're just kind of showing it off and using it to bargain with, which is, I feel like, exactly what the Prime Directive was intended not to allow. Right. Yeah, and not only do they beam, they use beam technology to beam it down, they explicitly say, we can make water. Right. <laughs> like, they don't, they don't even need to tell them that. Like, they, they, they could just give them the water and offer that. Yeah, be like, hey, we brought water with us to trade, but no. Yeah, but they actually... No, we made it, actually. We're pretty cool, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they kind of find out about the Ocampa and that the uh, only way to get sort of back and forth between where the Ocampa are is these these old tunnels that are sort of partially filled in or that the caretaker is kind of putting a barrier between. Well, the other the other way is that the, the caretaker is sending like an energy beam from the space station directly to the Ocampa, which is... That's how... Yeah. Like, Harry Kim and Delana get there is that they're kind of like zapped there. Yeah. He's, you know, sending them energy and stuff. But yeah, if you wanted to physically get there, that's, you'd have to go through the yeah. tunnels. And essentially what they're able to deduce as they collect more information is that the caretaker is getting old and about to die. And he's worried that once he dies, no one will be able to take care of the Ocampa and they're not able to take care of themselves because he, he's spent the last thousand years kind of giving them everything they need and so he's trying to either find someone to take care like take over for him or sort of send all of the remaining energy to the Ocampa and then seal them off so that the Kazon can't get to them 
and so what what he reveals uh, is that he or like his people were exploring this area of space and did something that somehow turned this planet into this desert wasteland. And because he had they had like ruined the Ocampus planet, they felt this responsibility or this debt to them, and so they're making up for that by providing this home for them and taking care of them out of the guilt for ruining their planet in the first place. Then as the the Voyager crew, so the captain and Chakotay and Tom Paris, end up down in the Ocampa city, and right as they get there, the caretaker starts trying to kind of destroy or seal off the city so that once he dies, the Kazon won't be able to get there. And so they're trying to escape before that happens. And they are climbing up through these tunnels, and the like, ladders are collapsing behind them, and they barely make it out. And this is where we have Tom Paris saving Chakotay's life while being rather racist towards him. Right. Well, actually, before we talk about that, I just realized, have we actually said why the caretaker sent Harry Kim and Belana down there? No, and this this story point, I got what they were getting at, but just kind of confused me. Oh, no, we kind of did. Because so, you said you did say that he's, he's, like, he's looking for someone to take his place. Yeah. He basically is... He sent those two down there because he injected them with something that basically, like, if it was a match, then they could be the new caretaker. And he's been, that's what right. he's been doing for years, is he's been trying to find new people by sending them down to the Acampo with this genetic mutation, hoping that the next one of them will be the caretaker. But it's not, it's not worked out yet. That's why he called them there in the first place. And it instead just gives them this sort of fatal disease and they all end up dying. So yeah, at one point, uh, Chakotay is, has been, they have to go up these big long staircases, basically, to get out of these tunnels. And Chakotay has been injured and can't make it. And so Tom Paris kind of comes back to rescue him. And it says something about, like, isn't there this Indian thing where now, like, y- you owe me your yeah. life or something like that? And and then Chakotay kind of being a, a much better sport than he you know, has any reason to be says, wrong tribe. And then they keep going. And Tom Paris decided to press his luck even further says, isn't there an Indian thing where you can, like, turn into an eagle and fly us out of here? Yeah. And it's just, it's just like... Yeah, and again, Chakotay is, like, not at all amused by any of this. Yeah, it's it's not it's not good. And I think, I can't decide, I mean, like, the show, I think, wants us to think that it's funny, at least in a way. And it is just one of those things where it's not funny, and also you've classically misjudged that this is going to be a thing. I mean, like, obviously, he's not part of Starfleet, so I'm sure there will still be in the future people who are not good guys but first of all like no one's going to be calling them indians in the future right. you know, in uh, there's a there's a late period episode of tng where there's a native american tribe that is settled on a different planet and i think picard calls them american indians and that might still be hanging out i guess i don't know but there's no way that everyone's just going to be straight calling them yeah. indians i don't think in the future it just doesn't seem uh likely and <laughs> and then yeah his his two like jokes are just like, Ugh, like <laughs> don't yeah. don't do that and, and that's and that's the thing too is that like that's one of the things R- Riker would never say that like that's that's something he would ever say and I don't I don't think that uh, Kirk would say that and you know so they're they're kind of pushing their luck as far as that archetype goes there I yeah think. so they they escape and they they go back to the array because as far as they know this is the only potential way for them to get back home and they are there when the caretaker dies and he says that he's sort of programmed the array to self-destruct because if if he doesn't destroy the array then the Kazon will be able to use it to get to the Okampa and conquer them and so in order to protect the Okampa he has to the, the array has to be destroyed. And so this kind of forces Voyager, forces Janeway, I guess, to, to make the decision of, do you use the array's power to get your own ship back home or destroy it so, to protect the, the Okampa? And so she decides to to blow up the array in order to protect the Okampa, but which then means that now they're stranded in the Delta Quadrant, 70,000 light years from home. And so... They, we have to now spend the rest of the series on kind of this voyage to to try to find a way to get home, thus setting mm-hmm. up the 
like the premise for for the whole show. It's just one of those things that I wrote down that I recognize that this has to be the case so that you have a TV show, but couldn't they have just like left a bomb on the array? Like use the array yeah, to probably. go away and then blow it up <laughs> afterwards. Which I think was it a was it Nemesis that kind of had the same sort of. I haven't seen Nemesis, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not certain. I think it was Nemesis where there's a point where someone has to stay behind to to blow up this thing, and you know, so someone has to make a noble sacrifice, and then you're just like, couldn't someone have just we've just beamed it aboard afterwards or left a time bomb or something? Yeah, uh, I liked it though. I mean, like I, I overall, like I don't know, it's it's a good bit of I think character work and. Um, for for a lot of the people involved, and yeah. it's, I, I think it's generally a good a good setup, and and I think they they really I think committed to this idea of even though we're not introducing the Star Trek concept, we're going to introduce the Voyager concept, and then for our other half of the episode, we're going to have a regular Star Trek episode yeah. going on, and so yeah. you kind of have one half of it that's like here's the premise, and the other half of it is this caretaker stuff, which could. Which could have happened at any point on any of the shows, basically. You know, that's it's a yeah, very it is a very Star Trek type of story of yeah, and not like boring, but just like it's it's definitely it's definitely in 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 the wheelhouse of the, of the show. Yeah. So I think there are a couple of things that I do really want to talk about before we we get done. And, um, one very small thing that I want to say is that one of the main cast members who we have not mentioned yet uh, at all on uh, on this episode is. Uh, what is even her name? Uh, so Neelix, the reason uh, why he actually yeah. takes them down to the Kazon is that he is kind of pretending to help them, but he actually is really going down there because he wants to rescue his girlfriend, who is an escaped Okampan, who, who yeah. kind of made her way out. Yeah, Kess is her name. Through one of the tunnels. What's Kess. her name? Kess. Yeah. So uh, Kess apparently is a, is a cast member on the first three seasons of the show. Am I correct yes. about yeah. that? I have we've never never seen her on any of the other episodes we've done. I don't think we we have sure. a couple times actually. She's Wait, she's really? only yeah. Oh no, I feel stupid. She's she hasn't been like a main part of any of the ones that we've watched. Uh, she's been kind of I think there was one episode that she's been sort of where she like has one line in the background. She's actually in the episode where the doctor has a family. She is in that one quite a bit but she has at that point she has like very different she has like long curly flowy hair oh she has oh that character yeah that like oh, because okay. she works sort of in the medical bay with the doctor yeah that's Cass. um okay. yeah she yeah, undergoes just, like a, she changes a lot between then and because that's i think near the end of before she leaves this is another seska um oh yeah another seska thing where where i don't think that an actor characters in the same episode because they have a drastically different hairstyle or something. Yeah. Um, I had no idea that she had been on the show. And so, and I didn't know she was a main cast member. And so I, the whole time thought she was going to die or I thought that I, th- for a while I thought that she was going to become the new caretaker. Oh yeah. It would be this emotional thing where like Neelix would have to leave her behind or something. And at the end she's like, Oh no, yeah, me and Neelix, Neelix are- and I are both coming with you. I was like, Oh, uh, okay. Like, I guess like I, didn't realize you were you were on the ship, but apparently, <laughs> apparently she's on like the almost the first half of the show. Yeah, she is. Um, so uh, that was kind of a funny little thing. Do you do you like Kess? I I never heard you you offer up any Kess opinions. No, again, because she's never really been a. And in the episodes we've watched so far, haven't really been about her. She she I think was a very like they, she's somebody that they were able to do a lot of interesting things when they focus on her character. Um, Mm -hmm. but when they're not focusing on her character, she is just kind of like there in the background. It was kind of one of those odd, you know, she's, she's never really like a big part of like most stories, but then they do some very interesting stories about her because they, and they kind of hint at it a little bit in this episode or reference it, but don't really dig into it. But the Okampa have sort of like telepathic abilities, you know, there's a couple times okay. where they'll in this episode where they'll they'll speak telepathically, um, and I think she oh, she yeah, mentioned yeah. something about you know that we used to our minds used to be so much more powerful, and now because we've been dependent on the caretaker for so long, we've sort of lost all these abilities that we used to have. And so every now and then they'll do an episode where she's kind of exploring that a little bit or trying to to discover, you know, as as someone who has this ability that lived her whole life kind of in the small like 
sheltered community, there's some interesting things they can do with their character. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting that you brought that up, too, because th- that was the other thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, so my my dad, again, not being terribly familiar with Star Trek, at one point they were in, in that section where they're kind of talking about how, like, our minds used to be more powerful, and now we've been around the caretaker. He kind of, like, looked over at me and my mom was like, well, this, it's... They're trying to say something here, and I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of the <clears throat> that's the that's the thing that's the Star Trek thing, you know." Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, let's, you know, you want to talk about that a little bit? Like, I, I think, I mean, the easy, I think, the easy analog to make is there's kind of a not necessarily a out and out like slam on organized religion, but yeah, but they use very religious sounding language. Um, the way that the Okampa talk about the caretaker, you know, they say stuff like, we've never seen the caretaker, he never directly communicates with us, but we have to interpret what he wants. And there's a lot of certainty about what he wants, like, from pe- from people who kind of maybe don't understand what they're talking Leaders about. Leaders will tell the rest of the Okampa, you know, this is the wishes of the caretaker, and we just have to trust the caretaker. And, yeah, they kind of mm-hmm. have this attitude of, we're not supposed to question, just kind of depend on... Um, and th- I feel like this is a very, like, this is the sort of story that I think Roddenberry would, would have done in original Star Trek, where, you know, it, it's this, sure. this race that kind of worships this thing essentially as the stand-in of, like, a, a deity or a god that's actually just, you know, kind of we as the audience know that it's just a intelligent and powerful, like, technologically powerful being um, and one who's actually responsible for their problems right. in a lot of and ways. That, and that I think they don't, they either don't know or have forgotten. But then that they become so, so dependent on him because, you know, he's sort of provided for them that then they don't become self-sufficient. Or there's a, a scene at the end where Janeway is talking to the caretaker right before he dies. And she says, you know, that you, essentially that he has to let the Okampa kind of have the opportunity to grow up and on their own because just like any other all other species did is they you know even if they have this kind of hardship or adversity or thing they have to overcome if you don't let them overcome it on their own then they never reach the point of being a an advanced species they are kind of stuck as these children i think it's it's interesting because it does kind of thread the needle a little bit too uh in the sense of I mean, I think you could definitely read it as just like a straight-up critique of organized religion, but also it's interesting that the caretaker is uh, real and yeah. is like you know in the kind of the parlance of Star Trek, he is a godlike being, and it almost seems like and he and even though he did kind of he was one of the people who was responsible for their current problems, he also does actually genuinely care about them and so in that sense it almost kind of becomes less of like a critique of like the idea of belief and more of a critique of the way that that those belief systems are organized and carried out where like you kind of become so dependent on like this dogma that you're not actually looking at what's in front of you and you don't ever like exercise your your mind which i think is you know you know whether you are a believer in anything or not i think that's a good thing to think about basically that it is pretty easy in any belief system to kind of rely on a series of kind of pat answers and that's certainly what the Okampa are doing yeah. um in their their current uh state but not like necessarily their most trenchant commentary but i don't think a bad one certainly yeah no and i, and I thought kind of like you said before it's a good they did a good job of combining both sort of the introducing all the characters getting the band together kind of establishing what we're doing here but then also just telling a, a Star Trek type story um, and kind of exploring the sort of thing that, that you would definitely have an episode of Star Trek about. Mm-hmm. It is tough too. Cause it, it's like, I, I, I again, it, it's, it's hard. It would be hard for me to recommend this to like a Star Trek novice. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe you could ultimately figure a lot of this stuff out just kind of by educated guesses. But at the same time, I look at like say the first episode of the original series or the first episode of TNG and those are probably better beginning episodes of Star Trek in the sense of that you would understand what's going on better but 
they're not as good. Like they're they're not, they're not like actually like they're not like good episodes really. Like like you know the the only thing that's good about Encounter or Farpoint, the first episode of TNG, is that Q's in it. <laughs> but like the actual like stuff, it's it's really it just feels really really long and yeah. I don't know. I, even like I, I watched um, the DS9 um, pilot. It's kind of the same thing, but it's a little better executed as a as a unit of television but again it, it does not yeah it's it, very it much basically like well you've seen tng yeah right? this well, is how these more. characters fit sequel, into you know? the star trek that you already know um yeah well and i think that is part of why you know this kind of middle period of star trek may have been kind of where it started to to spiral down is that it became so sort of self dependent right like you can't i feel like both voyager and deep space nine are series that are very much you wouldn't watch these unless you already were a Star Trek fan. Yeah, it's kind of like why I've never like tried to watch Doctor Who is because I would feel like I oh, well where do I you know I know that they have new Doctors every now and then but also like I kind of would feel like oh I should start at at the beginning or I should start at the beginning of like the reboot or whatever right. and there's just there's just so much of it you know yeah because you know there was a point where there were there was always Star Trek on television there was one point where there were I think there was like a short time where all three series were going at once, right? Where there was still Next Generation and Deep Space Nine Voyager, or did they just kind of overlap? I think Voyager starts the same year that TNG ends. So I think TNG ends in the spring, and then Voyager starts in the fall, I think. Uh, But yeah, but it it is very... If you know Star Trek and like Star Trek, it's I think Voyager's great. But yeah, it feels like it would be hard to get into if if you didn't. Maybe not though. I mean, I uh... maybe not. And I guess because the, the thing with sci-fi is like it's all, you know, so much of it is just kind of made-up nonsense, anyways. That you can just sort of yeah. Because because again, as we come into this, and we're just like, I don't know who Okampa are. I don't know who Kazan are. Like, I don't know what a Neelix is, and and you just kind of accept it as you're told. That maybe you can, mm-hmm. if you just kind of extend that to. Like, well, I don't really know what Cardassians or Maquis are, but I, you know, you quickly get the sense that, like, these are kind of these rebels that um, the Federation is trying to hunt down. Okay, that's really all I need to know to understand the characters and then go off from there. So, I mean, I did have to explain it to my family a lot, but I, I think my, again, like I said, my sister and my dad quite liked it. My dad even kind of expressed potentially interest in watching more of it, which I, I don't know if I told you this, Dad, so if you're listening to this, uh, now, we watched it on Hulu, but you can also watch it on Prime or Netflix, so if you, yeah. you know, it's definitely out there for you to watch, but uh, yeah, so I, maybe it did its job well enough to at least get uh, somebody to go check out more of it, but um, so I do just one other thing, and then we can probably go unless you have anything else, but I, I've been kind of saving it, um, which is that I'm kind of having to explain some of the characters, what their names are, and you know who they are to my family throughout the episode. And then my dad, uh, at one point, he's like, all right, so this Chipotle guy, what's, <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> and, uh, and he was uh, roundly mocked by, <laughs> by uh, me and Kim and uh, Dasha, my mom. And, uh, but then he, he did it like a couple more times. On, again, on accident. He's not trying to make a joke. He just like... I think I misheard it, and so it kind of stuck in his brain as uh, as Chipotle for a bit until we uh-huh. uh, until we probably bullied him into stopping. But uh, I think that that's going to be a running gag. I think uh, yeah. in, our, in our family for a bit of time. <laughs> nice. But, um, Kim thought it was funny to like you know if we're gonna we're gonna like make different versions of all the characters. Oh yeah, names. I'm sure. So yeah, she was kind of suggesting like because you see Chicote and. Um, and Tuvok together at the beginning, like, you know, he, uh, Chipotle and his friend Tupac, you know, uh, but, uh, uh, so that's, that's a, that's a fun, a fun uh, thing in our family now, uh, that one of the Star Trek Voyager characters names is, is Chipotle. But, um, yeah. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's, <laughs> it's as good a, good a place as any to, to call it. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, so uh, you'll, you'll, I think you'll, you'll have heard a, t- a teaser earlier in the episode for this, but we are part of a, a podcast network now. We're part of the Kaleidoscope uh, Media Network. You know, so if you're if you like this, or you know, if you're interested in 
uh, Harry Potter, check out you know our sister podcast, Wizard Studies. Or if you like horror games or books or movies, check out Here's Johnny. Or if you like kind of analyzing pop culture through kind of a scientific lens, check out That's Not How Science Works. Those are all uh, other Kaleidoscope podcasts, and they're great. Um, and so if you like that stuff, definitely check them out. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Contracts. That's C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. You can email us at uh, outofcontracts at gmail.com. Uh, and you can go to our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com. We post every other Sunday. Um, and next, uh, so the next episode is Deep Space Nine, uh, season seven, episode three, and it's called After Image. Um, so you can come back in two weeks and check that out. Yeah, that's that'll be a fun one, I think. And um, so yeah, I, I think we'll we'll see you next time. Thank you everybody for listening.